I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. This week on Pop It, we're at Tower Hill Botanic Garden with CEO Grace Elton. Tower Hill hosts the third oldest active horticultural society in the United States on 132 acres of ornamental, edible, and native plants. Thank you for having us yes. here. It's oh, very gosh. beautiful. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming. Can you tell us about this room that we're sitting in right now? <laughs> yes. This is my office. Um, but but the office is in a 300-year-old farmhouse. So I feel really lucky to be so connected to some Massachusetts history here. And looking out the window, I have the most beautiful view because I get to see the lawn garden, which right now is covered in holiday lights and with a beautiful blanket of snow on the lawn. So it's, it's a really special place to be. And it makes it really bearable when the sun goes down at, at 4.15 to be able to look outside and see all these lights. So makes me happy. There's a very <laughs> ornate mirror on that wall. Does it have a history? Is it haunted? <laughs> I'm really afraid of ghosts. So I really hope it's not haunted. So whenever people ask, I say, no, of course it's not haunted. For your so, sake, I yeah. hope it's not. But for yeah. my sake, I hope it is. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm going to look over there at some point during the interview and see a like, person standing behind yep. me or something. But there are plenty of people here tonight who are not haunted. Um, <laughs> we hope. What is, what is going on? <laughs> so tonight is one of our nights of Night Lights, which is our holiday light show. And it's about 30 evenings. Um, we open the day after Thanksgiving, and it runs through December 30th. And we've covered about 15 acres of the garden in holiday lights. And it's just magical here. We've got everything from um, trees that are, are wrapped with beautiful, colorful lights. We have the firefly forest, which is a really, really exciting spot. I'll have to show you guys afterwards out in the woods. And then we have our conservatories that are, are covered in lights and also have a lot of um, handmade ornaments as well. I noticed some flowers outside that seemed a little out of season, but perhaps because they weren't real. What were they made out of? <laughs> so those are all our bottle flowers, and these are made of recycled, well, they're reused plastic bottles. Most of them are the polar bottles. There are many green ones, so thank you for the people who donated their ginger ale bottles, and then also all the seltzer bottles. So uh, we are reusing our polar bottles, and what we've done is we've turned them into flowers. So we've cut them in certain ways and then um, painted them all different colors. And then you insert a light bulb where like the screw cap goes and they turn into bottle flowers. They just look magical. We have 800 of them. They really do. In the garden like, within reach. <laughs> they're in, I always think of that line in Clueless where they talk about something being a Monet where like from a distance it's beautiful and then close up it's not as beautiful. Uh -huh. But I think that they were really cool close up too. Yeah. I got closer and I was like, these are awesome. <laughs> yeah. I would put these like in my yard. Yeah. yeah. The aha uh -huh moment, you know, that's what uh -huh. I always call it with my students. But when you get close enough and you go, oh, I, <laughs> I get yeah. it. Yeah. 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 yeah, we actually filmed a little tutorial of how to make a bottle flower. So look on our YouTube channel. So yes. you can see there. Is it just Tower Hill Botanic Garden? Is that how we would find so. it? I think so. You should we'll go double check. Our, yeah, we've got um, uh, information through our Facebook page and through our, our website, too. For such mm -hmm. an old, established organization, you guys have quite the social media presence. And I was curious, at this particular garden, like, how do you maximize content? How are you mm -hmm. using social media mm -hmm. to your advantage? We use social media heavily in our marketing. And we, we have a wonderful PR 
and marketing manager, Robert Burgess, who does such wonderful things. He stays on top of all the all the trends and connects with all of our followers in a really meaningful way and really engages them. We have a lot of a lot of feedback, a lot of posts, a lot of visitors answering each other's questions, even on our Facebook page, and then a lot of interaction on on Instagram as well. So we've we've got a really photogenic product here, <laughs> so it's great. We'd love to see how visitors see our garden, and I love to watch it through everyone else's eyes. It's okay mm-hmm. if the answer is no, but have you gotten into TikTok yet? Oh God. <laughs> I personally have not. The garden has not either. A friend's daughter showed me what it was, and she was doing some fun TikTok Yeah, the Zoomers are all about it. Okay. I have, I'm not on TikTok, but I have seen, like, secondhand, I get a lot of, like, like people post, like, repost them on Twitter, like the way people used to do with Vines. And I, so I really love it as a platform. Like, I think there are some things that people are doing that are, there are some really, really, like, funny or educational TikToks. Yeah, huh. the New York Times yeah. said that it's changing the face of the creator, and they released today the top three TikToks of 2019. The first one is called Elephant Toothpaste, and it's this experiment. <laughs> I wrote down the ingredients because I was like, oh, my God, but it's water, hydrogen peroxide, dish soap, and yeast, and it just, like, explodes in this huge burst of foam. Wow. And, I mean, it's not dangerous. But... Like, what are you supposed to do with it? Just... Have yeah. fun. Well, they were creating TikToks where they utilize it, uh-huh. you know, along with a song, which is kind of a big part of TikTok. Mm-hmm. They repurpose mm-hmm. songs. Um, and then the second place one was a banana surgery. So they had peeled a banana ahead of time and put a little banana in it, but they do this very intricate surgery on the big banana, and it looks like oh. they're yeah. <laughs> extracting the little banana. And then the third most popular one. Oh, it's this girl. She takes her above ground pool and makes a hole in the side, and the whole pool just like combusts. Oh my gosh! Parents kill her. I'm sure it's an enormous (laughs) flood. But you know what? She's in the New York Times now. Yeah. So so who cares? We we can definitely figure out some kind of plant related TikTok. Absolutely. (laughs) You gotta just get like a young person. I saw one. My favorite one that I've seen recently was. um, I don't know if she was like a like high school or like early college. Probably still a teen. And it was just this girl who gave, like, a very brief and fascinating overview of just, like, the native history of Hawaii. Hmm. Like, the indigenous history of uh-huh. Hawaii and, like, the U.S.'s essential takeover of it. But it was really interesting. And she was so, like, engaging. And it was so fast. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> I know everything now. I feel like a genius. <laughs> well, it's coming cool. down the road. Yeah. But it makes me nervous, too. I do work with different organizations on their social media and I'm like I have not mastered TikTok yet Uh -uh. but oh other banana content that was relevant this week Art Basel which is like the biggest art festival festival in the world the event well the high-end buyers go early bye Unity Mike thank you so much for coming this is such a photogenic (laughs) location I'm going to help you because it's a trick door. Thank you. It's a trick door? It's a 300-year-old door, and it has this really interesting uh, handle. Do I take a quick look around? Absolutely. Awesome. Take as long as you want. Enjoy the garden. (laughs) The door is also haunted. (laughs) Now it is not. (laughs) Oh, but Art Basel. So, yeah, the high-end buyers all show up in the beginning of the week. And this year they all showed up to find this ripe banana that had been duct taped to the wall. So you've probably seen it on the internet. There are memes everywhere and everyone's been asking me questions like, what the heck is the deal with the (laughs) banana? So the bottom line is that 
it's this artist, he's Italian, Carilan is his name. And he got really famous in 2016 because he replaced a toilet at the Guggenheim with a fully functioning golden toilet. And everyone was like, what is this guy's Uh deal? So he went through this whole process where he was trying to figure out how to repurpose the banana, like a ready-made. And he was like, I'll make it out of gold. I'll make it out of bronze. I'll make it out of resin. You know, and he went through all these things until finally deciding... I'll just use the banana. It yeah. sounds like a fairy tale. I'll make it out of gold. Yeah. I'll make it out of bronze. <laughs> so the toilet at the Guggenheim was called America. This was called um, The Comedian. And oh. <laughs> it actually sold for $120,000. And then they realized, like, well, I mean, you can you can recreate it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And then some dude ate it. Uh, yeah, I was getting to that. So, I'm sorry. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Somebody bought it for $120,000, and then somebody else bought it for $120,000. And then the the art world started to say, well, like, how can you buy the banana? It's yeah. going to go bad. Mm-hmm. And people realized that you were actually buying the certificate of art, and that was it. And you're allowed to recreate it as much as you want and show it if you have the certificate of yours. Art. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And so eventually they raised the price to $150,000, and then someone walked up and actually ate the banana as a piece of performance art, and so everyone freaked out. So I guess it doesn't out. matter that he ate it. It doesn't. That is fascinating. Because it's the certificate. Yeah. yeah. And it reminded me of a show called The armory and they brought a urinal to this art show and everyone was like that's not art and then they said well mm-hmm. yes it is because we're taking it and we're giving you a new perspective on it mm-hmm. and this all brings me back to your garden <laughs> i was wondering where we were yes. going with this <laughs> we can go outside anytime and see nature why do i want to come and see it here how am i going to see it through a new lens what makes tower hill so special that was a really good way that you brought that back, yeah. Sarah. I was I was wondering how it was going to work. And We're going to actually walk around and tape bananas to all of the trees here. <laughs> People would be very confused. <laughs> well, as you were talking about art, and really a banana taped to a wall is a form of botanical art, I could argue. And we actually have um, not only beautiful outdoor collections here, but we do have an art gallery here. And we um, at our, it's called our Milton Gallery, and it's the main hallway through the the, um, the building and we always have some kind of botanical art. So we've had really interesting things like portraits of horticultural heroes, which um, we actually identified the, the people who we considered horticultural heroes throughout time. Many of them were, um, were women and people of color and some of them were living and actually came to our art opening. So we chose local artists that did portraits of both historical figures and people who are are living today and they're just doing really inspirational things with horticulture and influencing their community. So, so we do those kind of things here at the garden, but um, of course the, the main point of the garden and our, our shining star, are our plant collections. So we actually bought some land in the last couple years. So in your intro, you said 132 acres, but now we're over 170 Wow! because um, we have so much land that's, um, that's undeveloped. So beautiful woodlands that are um, surrounding our area. So we have a lot of opportunity for growth. And right now we have about 15 acres of formal gardens and then about 50 acres of wonderful meadows, lots of trails through the woods and, and more informal gardens as well. So there's so much to see here at the garden. we like to focus on not only our formal and uh, what we call our cultivated wild, which is the, the woodlands, but also agriculture. And that goes back to the Worcester County Horticultural Society. We started um, in the 1800s as an organization where 
farmers, um, mostly gentlemen farmers, would come and bring um, their vast pear harvest, for example. There'd be a couple hundred different varieties of pears coming from one farm, and everyone would come kind of state fair style, bring all of their, their produce and their flowers and, um, and lots of things like that, and and get judged on when blue ribbons, those kind of things. And that went on for about 150 years. And it was housed downtown in Worcester. And for the longest period of time, it was in the area, in, in the building that is now the Worcester Historical Museum. So if you have been in that building, that was the original horticultural hall. So we had these contests, we had flower shows where we would set up indoor gardens and, and people could walk through a lot of forced plants and um, seasonal exhibits as well. And they, they realized that they were, they were going strong for about 150 years, but then when a lot of the farms were subdivided and started to be developed, you didn't have the, the hundreds of pear varieties on one farm because a lot of the plants were removed. And they realized that they needed to open a botanical garden to remain relevant. So I really like that our organization has been bold since the beginning. We've always been looking back at our... Um, our constituents asking what the public needs to connect to horticulture and how we can best serve them. And that's why we, we opened this botanical garden. And what we've been doing today is really asking those questions to the community and saying, what can we do here for you? What can we provide that would make you come through the door? So uh, I was talking about vegetable gardens. So we still have vegetable gardens here. We also have an orchard that we're restoring right now. So we have 119 different varieties of apples. You won't see any apple trees on the property right now because we actually just uh, removed them all because we're restoring it. So we took cuttings and we're growing new plants and they'll be planted um, in the spring of 21. I remember so, coming yeah. here as a kid to do yeah. the apple tasting. Oh and yeah, them all out. maybe that's where my love of food was born. You know right? Oh, that's so cool. There are all these heirloom varieties. Yeah. You yeah. try them. They'd like There's so this many. woodsman with a, yeah. a pocket knife would like cut all these apples. Yeah, and hand yeah. Them out. all different types. I feel like we <laughs> yeah. don't realize. I remember one time I got like I went I fell into like one of those like rabbit holes on Twitter of just like this guy who was just like going through he was like an apple variety enthusiast yeah he was just going yeah. through all the different apples that he tasted and I was like this is a trip yeah I like you don't realize especially in New England like alone there's so many yeah now I know that you're working on your master plan or it's just been completed for 2038 yeah. I know I isn't like, that incredible wild. yeah how are you thinking about the future, uh -huh. particularly as it pertains to things like climate change? Uh -huh. Well, actually, the apples are a really good story about climate change because the reason we're restoring them is because um, in the in the past few years, they were really declining. and We were losing a lot of them because of a disease called fire blight. It's a fungal disease that's active when evening temperatures are warm. And for the longest time, fire blight would only attack really sick trees. But mm -hmm. as our nights have become warmer more consistently, we are seeing um, the fire blight attack healthy trees and, and start to kill them. So we were treating the trees with an antibiotic um, that was keeping them alive, but it would it's not a food safe product. So we couldn't eat any of the apples. So we had volunteers who would go out and pick green apples off 200 apple trees and compost them. And we didn't get to do the tastings anymore. Oh, nice. So it was like, it was just a band-aid really to try to keep these trees alive. And the reason why it was important for us to keep them alive is because a lot of those varieties don't exist anywhere else. And um, except Tower Hill and the places that we've shared scion wood is how you, how you propagate apples. So, so it really is something that is 
in our face. We we can see the effects of climate change um, with our apple orchard. And actually, um, just last week, we were featured in the New York Times, um, an article about the, the fire blight problem and how we're restoring the or- orchard and how fire blight's a southern disease. It's now attacking a lot of northern orchards. Wow. You guys should invite... So- Greta Thunberg here. We should. Time uh, person of the year, you guys. I know, I know. We should have an opening winter schedule. We should start a campaign. We should, <laughs> yes. we should. Come on it. All right, Excellent. Molly, you can lead the charge. So in terms of sustainability and stewardship, mm-hmm. what are some of the specific angles that you're taking, aside from just the apples, or mm-hmm. when I walk around mm-hmm. here, what are some things I can see? So what... Probably what you, we're doing a lot that you don't see. So it, but it's really sustainability and sustainable practices and environmentally friendly practices are woven through every single thing that we do here at the garden. It's really easy to garden sustainably. Um, it's really easy to garden with a lot of chemicals and a lot of product and a lot and unsustainably. You just have to know how to do it, you know, how to, how to, um, be as kind to the earth as possible. So we use very few chemicals on site. You know, we didn't want to be treating the apples with um, with a chemical to try to keep the fire blight at bay. We'd rather treat them organically um, or just not have to because of the, the fire blight. Um, if it didn't exist, we wouldn't have to treat it. Um, but, but all of the the things that we do here to manage our gardens, we're always keeping sustainability in mind. Uh, we also have a sustainability committee of staff and we're looking at all of our practices, like how we heat our buildings, how we, um, you know, manage our cafe and all of our operations. And hopefully we'll be making some changes soon on, on trying to be more sustainable with those practices as well. I was wondering that because of the lights. Yeah. I was like, how is this working? I know. Is I know. It's <laughs> anything behind it yet? Or is it like something that's in the works to like have a practice to keep that like sustainable? So it's funny, we were just talking about this today of like, okay, what's the argument of, is this sustainable? So it's, no, you're, you're you know, you're lighting outdoor garden spaces so with lights. If I wasn't using that energy, then that would be more sustainable. But what we're trying to do is, again, still provide the opportunity for people to connect with horticulture, connect with nature, but do it in a more sustainable way. So every light outside is an LED light. So it's a really low energy use light. Mm-hmm. And we're slowly working on, you know, it's taken a, a few years to switch all of our lights over um, to more, um, the more sustainable LED lights and almost everything inside. There's still some incandescent lights indoors, but we're, we're working on swapping those over as the lights age out. So it's like, right, you have to keep that engagement. You have yep. to keep people coming because otherwise you won't be able to fund anything. <laughs> yeah, this is our biggest fundraiser <laughs> right. of the year. And some so people don't like, realize that we're a nonprofit organization right. and they say, wow, that, you know, you guys are a thriving business, but no, the, the only reason that we do a holiday light show is to engage new people in horticulture and, and, and new engage new people with our garden that might not know why they should come to a botanical garden. You know, if you say botanical garden, a lot of people think that's a stuffy place that's not for me, but we want to show you, no, we're a place for kids and families and millennials and and magic. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You were talking, so you just said that it's the biggest fundraiser of the year and you Mm -hmm. were telling us a little earlier before we started just about kind of the numbers. Mm -hmm. So what does this particular event bring for you? What does it bring in? So we have a 44,000 tickets that are available. 
sorry, we are sold out. So if you're hearing this for the first time and didn't know about Night Lights, book your calendar for October 1st next year when they go on sale. <laughs> yes, set an alarm on your phone yes, right now. Yes, <laughs> because we, we have very limited parking right now and we want it to be a good experience. We don't want you to have to wait in a long line to get in and then not have a parking spot, not be able to come in. So you have to buy a time ticket and we sold out about two weeks before the show even opened this year, which is um, a, a new record for us. So we're thrilled about it. Um, and we're so sorry we had to disappoint some people. Um, but but it, it's great because it lets us fulfill our mission for the rest of the year. It, it funds all of our, our youth programs and our additions to the horticulture collections and our outreach. We do a ton of outreach um, out in, in Worcester through our Worcester Tree Initiative program. So we've, um, it, Worcester Tree started because of the Asian longhorn beetle when it um, devastated over 30,000 trees just in the city of Worcester and then um, more trees and more acreage in surrounding Worcester County. And it was started to be a grassroots effort to give people trees, to let them replant their city street trees and their backyards and learn about tree planting. So uh, fast forward a few years, it became part of Tower Hill, and now it's an amazing outreach program for us because we're still teaching people about plants, teaching people about how to care for street trees and why the urban forest is important. So we're really thrilled that we get such great support from the city, and uh, we've planted at almost every public school in the city, and lots and lots of community groups have brought us in to, to help plant in their neighborhoods, and it's just is really such a, a great way for people to come together around trees. When I was teaching in Auburn, I worked for four years on a stewardship project where we were reviving an arboretum, mm-hmm. and Derek Lorange, who's yeah, your, yeah. your Worcester Tree Initiative guy, he came, and not only was he like super engaging with yeah. kids, which is a lot to ask, because someone uh-huh. might be a brilliant scientist and right. not be a, a tremendously engaging kid person, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> um, he was so awesome, and he's like, I went to this school. Yeah. Oh, so that's such just, a cool connection. Yeah, he felt so much ownership over the project, yep. and yep. he was like, I never knew this was here either. Yeah. We had 30 different species uh, of trees planted out there, cool. uh, and he got the kids more excited yeah. than I've ever seen them about identifying species of trees. Isn't that awesome. fantastic? Yeah. I love it. I love to hear that kids are excited about plants. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they were, yeah. like, thrilled. Yeah. And then it yeah. took on a life of its own. Um, we ended up Excellent. creating like these paths so that people could oh. go hiking, you know, oh. in a way that didn't damage the property. Yeah. And um, we brought in a lot of different experts and I learned a lot Great. too. So I saw one of the events that you did last year that definitely engaged millennials mm-hmm. and Generation mm-hmm. C mm-hmm. was the STEM punk event. Yeah. Are you going to do something <laughs> like that again where you bring in some new concepts? Oh, definitely. It's we do a lot of research and a lot of um, uh, trying to develop programs for millennials and Gen Z because we understand that millennials are especially they're the 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 I believe they're the largest living generation mm-hmm. right now and they are um, the largest generation in the workforce. So they're also the generation that will have. Um, you know, the interest in engaging with us and the income to be able to um, come to a place and pay for an experience. And we we also realize that they're looking for an experience. They want to be involved. They want to create. They want to understand. And they believe in issues like climate change. And, and you know, they, they want to align themselves with businesses that have similar values as them. So you can see, we've, we, we think a lot about this and we're like, all right, this is this goes back to what does our community want? We ask them to give us feedback. And what we found is they don't want to come and just 
put their hands in their pockets and look at a plant. They want to engage in the flower arranging class. They want to dress up like the STEM punk event was incredible because I I, I didn't know about this thing, steampunk. But it was so neat. So it's a kind of science fiction where it's a lot of steam-powered things. Maybe you know more about I think a good way that I describe it, which is so funny to me, is like that movie Wild Wild West with Will Smith. Yes, exactly. It's kind of like a steampunk light, but that's Uh like people kind of know that as a touchstone. So it's like that there's trains, there's lots of copper and bronze and modern technology meets Victorian fashion. It's very strange. Exactly. There cool. were the, these two women who came to our steampunk event. They had these gorgeous Victorian dresses, like big poofy skirts and these amazing hats. And then they added so many botanical elements, like all these extra little silk flowers. There was a woman who came with a top hat that was covered in succulents. And it, it was just so interesting how this subculture that I never even knew of just totally wrapped their hands around the plants and just loved incorporating that so we called it stem punk so, that's yeah. brilliant i was yeah. thinking actually it's funny like when you i had like my wheels turning like earlier you were talking about early history of like the horticultural society mm-hmm. and you were talking about the flower shows yeah and all i could think of was like in what some season of downton abbey yeah. there's like a big huge flower show and everyone's <laughs> yeah. like they're all competing like the yes. collies like are like, exactly like that. we <laughs> have to win like we have to have the most beautiful flowers and i was thinking like if that if there was something like that where people could like dress up like Downton Abbey and come to a flower show, like my mom would be all in. Like there's like <laughs> yeah. a group of like all the people who went to see the Downton Abbey movie in theaters. Yeah, They'd be yeah. like, "Yes, I'm here I'm for in. this." Yeah, there's so much to do with plants. That's a really <laughs> good idea. <laughs> you can have yeah. it. All right, I will. I will. Thanks. Well, then I have to bring up. So Molly loves the Royals. And I, uh-huh, I uh-huh. noted in your resume that you spent some time at the Royal Botanic Gardens. I did. Can I you did. talk about what it was like to work in England and Scotland? Oh, sure, sure. I, I've lived in England twice, and I just loved it because it's there's such a rich horticultural history. And, um, and I feel like just the average person in the UK values horticulture to a degree that we just don't, we haven't understood yet. You know, I think we're getting there um, in the US, but they all call their yard, like we call it our yard, like my backyard, my front yard. It's all of the garden. This is my garden, you know, my back garden, my front garden. And I just think that's a different way of, of thinking about your, your landscape. And I, I had the opportunity to, to live for a year on a scholarship from the Garden Club of America and the purpose was to, it was an exchange program where they sent one U.S. student over to the U.K. and one U.K. student here to the U.S. And I got to work at five different gardens. And I worked at the Royal Botanic Garden Kew, which is in London, and then also the Chelsea Physic Garden, which is in London. And the RHS, which is the Royal Horticultural Society, Rosemore down in Devon, the Eden Project in Cornwall, and finally the um, Edinburgh Botanic Garden in Scotland. So it was, it was wonderful. I worked both in the garden as well as working with educational programs. So I, I really saw how you can use these historic landscapes. Like the Chelsea Physic Garden it was over 330 years old when I was there. And it was this little three-acre garden right in the center of London. And all of the, the school programs that they did were just just so fantastic because they were bringing city kids into a green space and teaching them all about food webs and ecology and environmental science. And it was just 
a really, really interesting thing for me to see because now as a CEO of a botanical garden, I understand not only the practical horticulture, but how important collections are for, for youth. So we bring every second grader from the city of Worcester comes to our, our garden for the cultural elite program. And then we have lots of other field trips. So whenever I see the kids running around and learning about plants and getting excited about plants, it just makes me so happy. It makes me think of my time in England. So. Do you have a specific specialty? I'm a horticulturist. So, so I, I went to university of Florida for undergrad and studied environmental horticulture. I've always been a nature kid and I've always loved plants. My dad grew orchids and fruit, like lots of tropical fruit down in Florida where I grew up. So I've always been interested in plants. I was in FFA in high school and studied horticulture in high school. So, so I'm a plant geek through and through. My specialty is tropical plants. So luckily we have two conservatories here, the Lemonia and the Orangerie. So I can lend a little bit of help uh, to our horticulturist. Welcome to New England. Yeah, welcome to New England. (laughs) Well, I can live anywhere if there's a greenhouse. It's called The Orchid Thief by Uh Susan Orleans. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I Uh didn't have a specific passion in orchids, but it's just a beautiful narrative nonfiction text that I read when I was in high school. And then I saw the movie Adaptation. Yeah. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was about the seedy underbelly of the orchid world. I know. Who knew? It was so, so good, exciting. Right? <laughs> How are you finding life in Worcester? I really like Worcester. I mean, we I see you socially, Sarah, and, and a November project. And I think just the people I meet, people like you who are just so excited about Worcester, make me really excited about Worcester. Oh, <laughs> so good. thank you. And it's just, it's interesting moving to a completely new part of the country. I'd only ever visited Boston once in my life before I came up here for a job interview to, to Central Mass. And I had no idea what to expect. And my husband describes that it's like every every single thing is a little bit different than where we used to live, which makes it a really different experience because like every little thing is different. But but I think the there's so much enthusiasm about what Worcester is becoming and kind of the renaissance that's going on. And I'm all on board. I think it's so cool. I think I'm excited about just all the great new restaurants coming into the city and all the all the new activity going on downtown. I live in the city. I bought a I bought a house in Worcester. So we love being part of the community and really feeling like we're part of something that's on the upswing. And uh, really pumped about the Red Sox coming to town. Yeah. And um, we are the hardest part is the winter because I'm from Florida. My husband's from Virginia. So um, yeah, not really the intensity, but the length it's is a little wild. hard because we're so connected to plants. So not yeah. seeing leaves on trees for so long is a little hard. But I can always go to Tower Hill and walk in the conservatories. And I really recommend that. If anyone starts feeling down about winter, go into the conservatories because you walk in and you're just like hit with a wall of orange blossom scent. And that has to make you smile. So. I always like to make a trip here at some point in the dead of winter. Yes. And then also Logies in yes. Connecticut. It's a greenhouse with tropical and rare plants, but it has the same sort of effect on you. It's a mini vacation. It is. It is. You know, and this year, another thing that will help you kind of escape or get through the winter, in addition to our normal conservatory displays, in February, all the way through February and March, we're going to have an orchid show. And we're doing orchids and street art. So we actually paired with one of the <laughs> yeah cool. we par- paired with one of the powwow artists, and he's doing all of these murals on canvas. And we're going to hang them around the conservatories. And there's even some Can that you say who it is. 
I haven't met the um, the artist yet, but my my team has been working with them. That's um, very yeah. exciting. Yeah, but we're really excited about that. And some of the murals are going to actually incorporate orchids. So I think there's going to be like, I don't want to spoil it, but it'll be a, something with the orchids like coming out of the painting. So, oh my God. Really cool. I'm all in. Yeah. Me too. That's yeah. awesome. I wanted to talk about a silly article I wrote, but it ended up <laughs> having a much larger impression than I thought it would. Yeah. yeah. And it had to do with a case of mistaken identity. <laughs> oh, yes. You yep. moved here around the same time as Lucy Hale, mm-hmm. who's the new executive director yep. of the Ecotarium, another right. science organization. Right, right. Uh-huh. She also has dark hair. She's uh-huh. tall. She came from Texas. So yep. I guess you both kind of came from the South, although very different parts yeah. of the weather. Yeah. Yeah. But you're two different people. And standing side by side, <laughs> you know, you look like two right. very different people. Right. Right. On a comical note, do you have any, like, anecdotes about it? And then also on a more serious note, how did you deal with the fact that, you know, there can be two powerful women in the same city? (laughs) Well, I think we're dealing it with it better than some other people might be dealing with it because, uh, you know, they think we're the same person. Luckily... Lucy's awesome. Well, I really yeah, respect her. And we were both were like, okay, if I could be confused with anyone, I'm glad it's you. You know, I think she feels the same way. So yeah, I mean, I'll, I think the, the, the funniest moment for me, if this had been happening for, we've both been in town, I've been in town about two and a half years. Lucy's came in in town like a, a, less than a year after me, I think. And it was at our own fundraising gala here at Tower Hill I'm standing in the lawn garden and I went to shake one of my donor's hands that knows me very well, I thought. And he was shaking my hand and he starts turning my wrist around looking and going, oh, how, is, how are you healing? How, there's, where's oh, the scar? No. And I said, what? And then I realized, oh, you think I'm Lucy. No, I didn't break my arm. I'm Grace. <laughs> I'm the, the CEO here at Tower Hill where you are right know now. You, yeah. you know me. And uh, I, I thank you for the donations you've given to my garden in the past, you know? So it's, I don't think they, they completely think we're, you know, they don't, they don't completely um, misidentify us, but I think it's just like all the details kind of blend together. So, you know, they'll ask my, me, how my husband is dealing with the, um, you know, transition from Texas to Western. I'm like, he's from Virginia. (laughs) And then, um, uh, one of our, our neighbors said to, to Lucy, Oh, we should, we should carpool to November project. And she's like, what are you talking about? He said, well, you're there, you come with your dog. And she said, Oh, you think I'm grace? No, I don't do that. She does that. You know, and it's just, um, little, little things. To where she said that, you know, somebody was really adamantly trying to <laughs> yes. describe to her that, like, no, no, you do go to November Project. And yeah. No, she's I like, know. no. I really don't. don't. I know that I don't. <laughs> or if someone interrupted her because they were introducing you and she said, mm-hmm. oh, no, I'm Lucy. And he goes, no, 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 no. And, you know, and she's <laughs> like, like, I know who I am. <laughs> Um, yes. No, no, we know each other. And she's like, no, you still think I'm Lucy. I'm not. And yeah. They make it like a parent trap situation. I know. I know. Like, I'm well, here for work and like, see what happens. <laughs> Lucy, when we, when we first started getting uh, mixed up, Lucy said, okay, we should dress up like each other for Halloween. Yes. Like, I'll show up at the Ecotan with her Absolutely. name tag on and see if anyone's like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, what's going yeah. on? Yeah. The article was a nice opportunity to define some distinct signifiers like if you're for whatever reason still not sure who you're talking to the easiest one is that she has red hair yes and you have brown hair I do yes <laughs> like, yeah I don't wear glasses yeah. and she always wears high heels 
I don't know how she does it. I cannot wear high heels. They hurt. We had a couple more listener questions that trickled in, and I was wondering if you have a favorite female celebrity friendship. So, so I just laughed. So full disclosure, Sarah sent me this question ahead of time and I read it and I just froze and I was just like, oh, I don't, I don't know any, what celebrities do. Like, I'm not a follower of pop culture. And then I was like, wait, I'm going on a pop culture blog. I should, I should do some research. So I Googled, I Googled what you asked me. So celebrity female friendships. And I came up with a bunch of photos of people that I, I knew, I recognized some of them and some of their names. And I was like, oh, interesting. They're friends. Good for them. You know, so, so I don't have a good answer for that. I would like to be friends with some celebrities. Like, Mm -hmm. like I'm reading Michelle Obama's book right now and I'm just in love with everything she's about. So, so I just was really excited about that. I, I would love to meet Martha Stewart. I actually, I met her once. (gasps) We said one word each to each other and it was one of the best moments of my life. No, not really. It was hello. It was hello. Um, well, so being, a garden CEO, whenever we, you know, we, we all kind of know each other in the country, like of all the, the big gardens. So whenever you go to a, a new part of the country, you can just call um, the director at the garden and say, come, you know, can we meet up? I want to learn about your garden and everything. And, and one of my mentors um, throughout my career has been Rodney Eason, who is the, um, he's at the Land and Garden Preserve on Mount Desert Island. And he invited me to an event they were having and she was there. So we walked by each other while we were both admiring the garden. And I coolly said, hello. (laughs) And then she looked at me and said, hello. And then I walked out away and I was like, oh my God, I'm so by this She's so cool. (laughs) And all I wanted to say was, you taught me how to fold a fitted sheet and it changed my life. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, little things. Yeah. I would love to be friends with Martha. Yeah. There are so many, I mean, so lately now, too, she's, like, very good friends with Snoop Dogg. Yeah. And they, like, a show. And how cool is that? And it's delightful. Right. And then I read an interview with her where she was, like, talking about her time in prison and how, like, she would wow. never, like, snitch on anyone. Wow. Or just, like, the, right. like just, like, funny yeah. stuff that I was, like, Martha. <laughs> oh, you know where she is frequently cited? Logies. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, I would love for her to visit Tower Hill. If Good she enough. listens we're to your podcast, maybe she can come stop by. Yeah, we're going to invite Martha yeah. also. Good, good. In addition Make that to happen. Greta. Yeah. Same Martha. day. Yeah. <laughs> Martha, come on, pop Can it. you hear me? <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of crafting in my free time, so I've always you know, got a lot of inspiration for her. Yes. <laughs> I have a would you rather for us. Oh, wait. Do you have a celebrity friendship, though? Oh, yeah. Um, Busy Phillips and Michelle Williams are my favorite friends. Busy I have Phillips, no idea who those two people are. You've seen them. You <laughs> okay. would, like, if you saw their faces, you'd be like, I know them. So Dawson Busy Phillips. Creek. Yeah, she, Busy Phillips was on Dawson's Creek. Before that, she was on Freaks and Geeks. And now and then she acted like here and there for a while. And now she's sort of turned into like an internet sensation. Mm-hmm. Like her Instagram is awesome. Yeah. And she does a lot of just like, you know, her life and mm-hmm. Cool stuff like that. But she is best friends with Michelle Williams, who played Jen on Dawson's Creek, and they played best friends on the show. Um, Michelle Williams is a multi-award nominated and winning actress. She mm-hmm. was nominated for an Oscar for Brokeback Mountain. She was briefly uh, married to Heath okay. Ledger. Um, and she just won an Emmy for Fossey, Fossey Verdon. But they are just like... The way that they speak about each other and to each other is just like so intimate in a way that I'm huh. like... I just find so beautiful. They're just best So where do you see them? How they talk to each other? Are they like, like on, on Instagram? 
like they'll post videos or like they like she they speak a lot about each other's friendship because they've been okay. friends for so long okay. and they're like godmothers uh-huh. to like Aww. so it's just lovely. I guess I, I'm gonna go Taylor Swift, Selena Gomez because are they still it's enduring. Yeah, she won the Entertainer of the Decade award, and Selena went with Taylor's mom mm-hmm. last week. Oh, and cute. so the footage, I hadn't thought about them still being friends because yeah, she seems to I cycle through know. pretty quickly. Yeah. And Selena That's knew nice. every word to all of Taylor's songs and was singing along with her mom. You know, it was like really cute. And I remember them when they were in college going to visit Taylor's brother at Notre Dame uh-huh. to have like a regular college girl weekend, even though they were super celebrities. That yeah. Fun. yeah. I don't know. I like their, uh, their sense know. of kinship. Well, I yeah. bet that recently too, they have bonded because Taylor is in a, an indirect dispute with Justin Bieber, yeah. his manager, Scooter Braun. And that is Selena Gomez's ex-boyfriend who they broke up and then he got engaged three months later to Haley Baldwin, who I don't like. So maybe it was a more <laughs> of a political move than I who thought. Who knows, right? Um, Which would you rather? Okay, so we were spe- talking about the Orchid Thief, which is about the seedy underbelly okay. of the Orchid world. Uh-huh. Um, so there's that, right? And then we also have Little Shop of Horrors, which okay. is a story about a plant that feeds off of human life. Um, do you, are you familiar? Oh, I love that movie. I was going to say, you probably love I it. sing every it song. It is. It's the best. Yeah. yeah. So it's a story of this like kind of rough and tumble guy. He lives in Skid Row and mm-hmm. he works for this. Flower shop. Yeah. Well, he works at a flower yeah. shop. Yeah. And they get this plant in that it turns out is like an alien and it has, <laughs> it's, it's a Venus flytrap or it looks like one, but it's yeah. huge and. He discovers that the plant feeds off human blood. So, so would you rather be embroiled in the seedy underbelly of the orchid world, or be the main caretaker of a plant who feeds off human blood, but also maybe brings you fame and fortune, or maybe Ooh. also kills all your friends? Hmm. I know. I'm sticking with the orchid thief, although it was pretty horrifying. They were like, you know, yeah, it was. Like gang violence. Yeah, yeah. it world. gets wild. It's dangerous. It's like, right, it's like Fast and the Furious, the first one. Yeah. In Orchid Thief, they're going out and wild collecting orchids that are rare. And that's a no-no. So I would not want to be in that because that's not sustainable. Um, and it's really bad for um, for endangered plants. You know, and, and a lot of plants are endangered or threatened because of overcollection. Mm-hmm. So... From, sorry to bring it back to, <laughs> to some real stuff, but, you know, it's it's not good to collect plants from the wild. Always get it from reputable nurseries. So I wouldn't want to be in the orchid thief, not because of the gang violence, but because of because of that. And if I was in Little Shop of Horrors and I could just sing all the time, then that would be fine. Well, right? and there's a su- yeah. sustainable way to yeah. be in Little Shop of Horrors where, like, you can just collect pe- people's bodies who are already dead. Like, maybe they're <laughs> organ donors you know, and then or that's what you like feed on too. I mean, we eat cows, so, you know. Yeah, so. right. I guess it's not yeah. human blood necessarily. It's like. Yeah. You can. Yeah. yeah, I think that that would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. In Twilight, the vampires can feed on large mammals. It exactly. Doesn't taste as good. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They're vegetarians, right? Vegetarians, yeah. yes. <laughs> the last listener question we got said, share one thing you wish someone taught you when you were in middle school. That's a good question. So many things, right? (laughs) I'll stay on brand. I have, I teach a media class and we were working with a WPI professor who was talking a lot about how the use of technology can 
lead to depression and anxiety. And the more that kids actually get barefoot in particular, but are outside exposed to nature, the more you can deplete the effects of that Mm -hmm. technology. So Mm -hmm. I said, if I'm going to teach a technology class, I want to try and get these kids outside as much as I possibly can. And it was wacky because like, you don't think of your tech class being outside, but because of iPads, all the technology is mobile and there are so many things that you can do outside in nature. And I wish that I had been able to get outside the walls of my public school building more when I was Mm -hmm. in middle school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know. I, I think of all the things that I know now, like that, like the song by the faces. I wish that I knew when I don't know. Yeah, yeah. When I was younger. But it's, and I was actually talking with someone about this recently. It's also like, I feel much wiser than I did when I was younger, but it's like in abstract ways. Mm -hmm. Like, I Mm -hmm. just feel like I have, I know more, like I have more knowledge, but it's like, I could, I can't like specify it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if it's honestly just like, you'll get there. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not there Mm -hmm. yet, but like Mm -hmm. you start to get there. Right. Where you just feel like you can be more wise. Yeah. 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 I was thinking a lot about just self-confidence and how, and and the question was, you know, what you, what you were someone taught you, but I think that people are talking about self-confidence and self-esteem a lot to kids, but, but whether you learn it or not, and you know, whether you have the courage to learn it. So I think, you know, I wish I would have learned that it'll be okay. You know, you're, you will find your place. You are important. You are, you know, and I had very loving parents and, mm-hmm. and, you know, everybody around me was nothing but supportive, but still you're super insecure when, when you're in middle school, hard. it's super hard. Yeah. yeah. And just realizing that you might find your niche, like I love plants and, you know, and they've done so much for my career and for my life and just finding something fulfilling like that, you know, mm-hmm. that it, it's just like, it's okay, stick it out. It'll, you know, you can get through this guys. <laughs> I think a big one, that is a big, like a coverall is just like, you're not going to be stuck with these people forever. Right. 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 But it feels like it. It feels like your whole world. Like your yeah. Whole, yeah. That's yeah. it. And it's not like, well, it could be for some people, like you're stuck with them, <laughs> you know, but like it is, it's like just if you're like, related to them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it is like, I felt like when I got to college, I remember thinking that I like had found like my people Yeah, and yeah, I was like, absolutely. Oh, okay, cool. Like, but it is, it's hard to like accept that. And it's, mm-hmm. Because it, it really feels like that is your whole world. So <sighs> good luck to the middle schoolers. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I haven't thought about middle school in a long time. <laughs> Thank you so yeah. much for yes, having us. Is wonderful. there anything you haven't had a chance to share yet that you want to make sure ends up on our podcast? Uh, I hope that if you have not been to Tower Hill that you come because we really do have something for everyone, whether it's um, an event or just a peaceful walk in the woods or a beer garden. We have a lot of really, really fun stuff going on. So we have, um, it's all on our website, towerhillbg.org. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Facebook to figure out what's going on. Share with us. We want to see, like I said, I love seeing how people view our garden. So show me my garden through your eyes. Awesome. Yeah. I think that's a great way to end it. Thank you. I have been Sarah. I have been Molly. And this is Pop It. Pop It.